0: Our gospel reading this morning is going to be from Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 33. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled the sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it, offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone, let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion stood opposite him, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you have given to us. As we see this from Genesis through Revelation, and as we consider particularly Psalm 13 this morning, we thank you for the words of David here, for the words of which we hear throughout the scriptures, most importantly, through the words in which we see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Having fulfilled these words, Father, we look to you and trust in you. We pray that you would equip us then to. Uh, Live for you all of our days, for we ask this in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, According to Open Door USA, regarding Christian persecution, last year, 2018, there were 215 million Christians experiencing high levels of persecution in the countries on the world watch list. This represents 1 in 12 Christians worldwide. No surprise, North Korea is ranked number one, and again for the 17th uh, consecutive year as the most dangerous country for Christians. In that World Watch list of 2018, it reported 3,066 Christians were killed, 1,252 were abducted, 1,020 were raped or sexually harassed, and 793 churches were attacked. Islamic oppression fuels Christian persecution in eight of the top ten countries. Well, as a church, we have prayed for the release of Reverend Andrew Brunson, this North Carolina native who was in a Turkish prison for over 20 months. When you think of 20 months, it's way more than a day, way more than a week, way more than one month, even more than a year in a Turkish prison. 20 months, and thankfully we can rejoice together for his reuniting with his family and friends in the US. Well, all of these situations, all of these kind of stories, provide a context in which we might ask the question of what Psalm David, or the Psalm, the Psalmist King David, asks, and that is, How long, O Lord? In fact, David asks this four different times. You see it in your bulletin as well. In this Psalm 13, King David has written words for you, for the church, for you to consider, to meditate upon. These are words in which Psalm 13 ultimately offers you a framework for how to deal with trials. These aren't the only words, but he does offer us these words as a framework. And ultimately, it is through Jesus that we understand his words in our Christian life. What we see here in Psalm 13 this is a true experience of David. David has serious, difficult problems. David truly began to question God's care for him. In this psalm, he really prays for help. This isn't, just some, this isn't a hypothetical situation. And in, this, in his experience, he really is hopeful that God will answer. So it's a psalm here that we, we see doubt, we see despair, but it ultimately leads to hope. And in the providence of God, David now has this psalm recorded for you, preserved for you as a church, so that, again, we can learn from this. And so what is it that David would teach us from Psalm 13? Well, as we see here, first it's David's cry in desolation. Psalm 13 begins in a rather depressed way. If you were sitting next to him this morning, you wouldn't find him very cheerful. As God is there, and David believes that he is there, the question for David is, where is the evidence of you, O Lord? David is feeling forgotten, he's feeling alone. David is not feeling the Lord's blessings on him. Though the priest would offer that blessing uh, to him as as that uh, benediction, but yet David is not experiencing that face of the Lord shining upon him. In the moment of feeling separated from the Lord, David asks, Will you forget me forever? With this kind of despair, you just wonder what David experienced. Was it with the trials that he had with his father-in-law, Saul? Or was it with his son, Absalom? We read, and thank you for that longer reading, in 2 Samuel chapter 15. But did you capture all those uh, problems that David was experiencing? He's the king of all things. And yet, he is suffering as he was. In verse 30, it said, But David went up, to, went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. Well, regardless of the trial here in Psalm 13, David is feeling significant physical and spiritual pressures, to say the least, To be sure, David in these trials hardly sees any hope for himself. Look at verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Kind of hear that same similar cry and complaint of Psalm 73, which the gist is, Lord, why are you blessing those who hate you and those who love you? Why don't we see the blessings? that we would expect so david here in psalm 13 is searching for god's plan in this trial david acknowledges that this is a problem too big for him it's not something that he can answer on his own there's no rah-rah language to do it better for himself i recall the days of playing basketball for a high school and you'd hear the cheerleaders Shout something like, all you got to do is put your mind to it, buckle down, buckle down, do it, do it, do it. Well, that kind of language may have its place in various parts of the Christian life, like, Let's get out the garbage. You know, we might use that kind of language, but, but this is a situation, obviously, not sufficient. David is at his wit's end. There is no good solution in view as we understand this initial cry In desperation. The story, there's a story in Our Daily Bread that illustrates this hopeless feeling. It reads this way My friends, Bob and Dolores understand what it means to wait for answers, answers that never seem to come. When their son Jason and future daughter in law Lindsay were murdered in August 2004, a national manhunt was undertaken to find the killer and bring him to justice. After two years of prayer and pursuit, there were still no tangible answers to the painful questions the two hurting families wrestled with. There was only silence. Even after ten years, with over a thousand tips and clues, the villain is still not captured. And this family, having now suffered well over ten years, could very well ask this question that we see here in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Griefs Sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, these are all found in your life. They are found in all of our lives. And according to John Calvin, they are also found in the Psalms. And I think Psalm 13 provides a reminder of why John Calvin says this about the Psalms. I'm sure you've heard this before. I have been accustomed, he says, to call this book, that is the Psalms, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life, drawn to the life, all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities. in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men our want to be agitated. What John Calvin is saying here is that these psalms, like this mirror, they, they go along with you. They're This, this mirror, they're, they, they assist you. They accompany you. They walk along with you expressing the very emotions that you very well may express. Psalm 13 is then here to help you in your griefs and sorrows and pains, ultimately to lead to that hope that we have in our Lord and Savior. And as we proceed in this psalm, we recognize that there is hope that we can have in sorrowful and what we might think is rather a hopeless situation. In verses 3 and 4, we see David making a request to God for help. In those first verses, of course, where David is questioning God's presence and blessings, even there he is praying to God. Let's note that. So this isn't a prayer of an atheist. This is a prayer of a wounded Christian. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This enlightening the eyes speaks of a restoration of physical health, at the very least. Presently, however, he's feeling nearly as good as dead. In our family reading well back in 1 Samuel, we read of Jonathan fainting For hunger. You remember, children? What was it that he had in his fainting of hunger? He had had something to restore him, and that was honey, right? He is one that, as he tasted of that honey, his his eyes were enlightened. That is, they were refreshed and strengthened. And that is what David is asking here. David's asking the Lord, he, he desires to be strengthened. Don't let me sleep the sleep of death. David also desires God's help so that his enemies are not the victorious one. He does not want them to have that last laugh. He doesn't want his enemies saying, I have prevailed over David, we have prevailed over David, and therefore we are the victorious ones. We want ultimately to see his demise. The question we could ask is, should David be so concerned about himself? And to be sure, we have a right to be concerned about our own life. And so David certainly on that human basis does have that right concern to live. But there's more, I think, there than just my own personal life. It's who is, who is he representing? David is the king. He's the king of, 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 of the land in which Yahweh is ruling. David wants to give glory to his king. He is God's anointed. To destroy the king and the enemy's minds is to destroy the God whom he serves. And David does not want this to happen. And so when we consider this psalm, as as we've read it, as as we might sing it uh, in the future sometime, we might ask, how do we do this? How do we do this as Christians? Well, I think first we need to remember that this psalm speaks of and prophesies about Jesus. We should remember that God the Father did hide his face from Jesus. This is a similar cry in Psalm 22 as Jesus speaks of those words on the cross as we read those words from Mark 15. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with that loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember Luke as well. Yeah, after the resurrection, in Luke 24, after the resurrection, in which Jesus says that the Psalms, it came to fulfill those Psalms. So as the enemies of Christ beat Jesus and then sending him to his death, to be sure they rejoiced over Jesus' demise. But we know, thankfully, as we live here now in 2019, the whole story. We have the whole scriptures. We know that the cross is not disconnected from his burial and resurrection and the ascension and his glory and victory in heaven. Jesus' enemies don't prevail. Though Jesus is crucified and buried, God the Father answers Jesus. Jesus rises from the grave. An an unknown author, uh, in in my perspective, writes this, the history of Christianity is a series of victories described and disguised as disasters, starting with the cross or beginning with the cross. And as Jesus has that victory and as Jesus has gone before you, now you are called to walk in that very way. You are called to take up your cross as Christ has loved and as he's given himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, theologian Robert Hawker says, Oh, how very sweet and sanctified it is to trace the manhood of Jesus in his footsteps going before us. Luke 22, Hawker continues and and talks about how Jesus goes before us and how we are to find our joy in him. He writes, I pray you, reader, mark it down as a matter of great importance for every occasion of soul exercises that it is Jesus and not our frames or feelings that is the cause of all real joy. He continues, so that when our frames alter, as alter as they soon will, where is our joy then? But if we place it in Jesus and have it in Jesus, here we may always find it in every rainy dark or gloomy day that follows in other words the hope that you have is is not found in yourself our health and our present happiness will not last this will all come and go but your only hope and it is this only hope is found again in our lord and savior this newborn king that we do celebrate this emmanuel this god with us And so David, as we see here, concludes in verses 5 and 6 of this faith that he has in the certainty of God's word. How do you have hope in your trying circumstances? How do you place your hope in Jesus? It's not, you know, look to David by no means. We know the full life of David. He's not our hope. Solomon's not our hope, and so on. But we do remember we do remember what we have in God's word. We remember what God has done in Scripture. We remember the gospel accounts of the incarnation and of the steadfast love of God. We remember the greater son of David, our Lord and Savior. We remember God's faithfulness to his people. We remember what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. We remember God's faithful to us, to us, saving us, from our sins, And so here in Psalm 13, David remembers and trusts in God. Look at verse 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David here recalls God's mercy as we see here in this translation, steadfast love. He trusts in it. He has trusted in it. He will continue. He is saying. And this leads to then singing to the Lord, for he has done bountiful things for us. Psalm 13 then shows us this path from despair unto delight in, uh, th- and ultimately through prayer to God. John Kelvin writes We may not be wholly free from, from sorrow. That is, we may not be entirely free from sorrow. But it is nevertheless necessary that this cheerfulness of faith rise above it and put it into our mouth a song on account of the joy which is reserved for us in the future, although not as yet experienced by us. Just as we see David here preparing himself to celebrate in songs the grace of God before he perceives the issue of his troubles. David is not rejoicing here as we see in these last word because of his problems have somehow evaporated. I'm all better. Now let's praise the Lord. Not at all. David is ready to rejoice because within his problems, he remembers God's steadfast love. In one sense, David almost appears in utter despair. But when you consider the whole of this psalm, we realize that David has hope. And David, uh, yes, David suffers, but his suffering has a purpose, even unto the hope that David longs for. The purpose of his suffering leads to faith in God. His suffering leads to rejoicing in God's salvation. His suffering leads to singing as God has dealt bountifully with him. Again, theologian Hawker says, Reader, how beautiful it is when by looking out of ourselves and looking to all precious Jesus Faith finds strength to rely upon him who is the Lord our righteousness. Faith begets prayer, and prayer calls in Jesus. Well, as we would close, there are three implications that I would like to uh, present to you. The first one is when you feel like God has forgotten you, you know the answer, right? Pray. And is that not a reminder that we all need? That I need. When you begin to question God's answers and His ways, as you pray, and this will help you to pray, remember, remember God's many blessings to you. How has God been good to you? How has God been good to you? At the very least, you can say, God has helped you in recalling all of His steadfast love as as it's recorded from Genesis through revelation of all these blessings that are promised to us as god's people how has god been good to you well you think of the feasting that we have here this morning as as the lord presents to you not only word and sacrament but as this flows out to the times of of 2018 of thanksgiving of what you enjoyed at christmas time and all that feasting even in Afterward, maybe just beans and rice. In all of this, we have to say that uh, God has been better to us than we deserve. And so we are reminded often, I need to be reminded often of to pray. Secondly, we ought to be sure as parents to be teaching our children as you are older, as you're reading the Scriptures, you need to be reading the full uh, fullness of scriptures, not, the, not, the, not just the stories you like, but all of the scriptures. And I, I, I define them as the woe and wow stories. The wow stories, you think of Saul killing his thousands, David his ten thousands. You think of David slaying uh, Goliath, the Israelites having victory over the Egyptians. But what about the woe stories? Those stories even that we have read about in terms of David's struggles, David fleeing Jerusalem, people cursing him, David weeping, and and, and, and where he should be, the ruling king of all people, his son has taken the throne. The woe stories prepare you for the trials of life. So do the woe stories. But the woe stories give that backbone as well. Prepare then for how challenges will come your way in the providence of God. As one pastor said, if you haven't experienced great t- trials, get ready. You will. And how will you handle them? In, Rosaria's in Rosaria Butterfield's book, the gospel comes with a house key. There's that discussion within her home during that time of hospitality, and, and the question was, how do you prepare for future trials? How do you prepare for future trials? And the answer is today. Today, as we worship, as we hear God's word, as you go home, and as you're reading and as you're singing, as you're praying, you are preparing for whatever is in your situation and for that future. We prepare today. You need to be reminded that whatever your circumstances, your only comfort in life and in death As we answer that in the Heidelberg Catechism, number one, that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As a Christian this morning, you belong to this very faithful Savior, regardless of the difficulties that you find yourself in. And so this is not just true for you individually. It's true for you as families. It's true for you as a church. And so as a church, as we gather together now, as we gather together in the fellowship meal, we have great opportunity to encourage one another, to love one another, to pray for one another, to ask about one another. It's opportunity, of course, to pray for the persecuted church of which we have already described, even as Hebrews says, that we're to remember them as if, it, as if we were friends with them ourselves. So we need to remember the wow and the woe stories, ultimately to remember God's faithfulness because God is faithful and he will be faithful to you as well. The last implication is that if you are not a Christian this day, you can't rejoice. You cannot do this as we see this in the last portion of Psalm 13. Only Christians can rejoice in God's mercies. But as an unbeliever, if that is you this morning, you are called to look to this Jesus. Don't look to yourself, but look to him who has abandoned, uh, who, who, who abandoned Christ, who, who, who forsook Christ on your behalf. Edward T. Welch in his book, Depression, A Stubborn, a Stubborn Darkness, writes this, when you hear the words of Psalm 22, as we did, and even in these words, and these are my words now, of Psalm 13, he writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might think about your own experience. Depression feels like being forsaken, but you also remember that these were Jesus' words on the cross. They point to the fact that when you read these liturgical prayers, you are not alone. David composed many of them. The Israelites sang them. The church has recited them. They all point to Jesus. Ultimately, they are all his songs, and you are being taught to sing with him. Jesus is the divine singer, and now the songs of the Son of God have been given as gifts to the children of God. What these Psalms do is straighten the trajectory of our lives. Using the words he gives us, God gently turns our hearts toward him. Instead of everything heading back into ourselves, we are able to look straight straight outside of ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12. So we could certainly ask the question, why is it, perhaps in the past, why maybe now we don't believe these things? Well, maybe it's because, maybe it's because of the pain that you have this morning. And when you have pain this morning, whatever that may be, that pain uh, changes your feelings. It certainly can. It changes, it changes my feelings about how I'm feeling that present moment. And as we're ruled by those feelings, we realize that if we're ruled by those feelings and emotions, we are not going to think aright. In other words, left to myself, left to yourself, depending on your feelings, you are going to curve in on yourself, as Martin Luther did say. Instead, Luther would encourage you, and and all, all from the word, is to curve out, to look to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when dealing with your troubles, you you won't simply shake them off by yourself. It will only lead to what Welch suffered himself, and that is depression. That's what sorrow only turns to if we're not looking, ultimately, to our Savior. Looking to Jesus, however, your hearts are then turned to love and service to God and neighbor. I close with these words uh, of a friend of Edward Welch co-worker David Pollinson, a Christian counselor. He wrote an article entitled Facing Death with Hope Living for What Lasts. He writes many years ago in Time Magazine there was an article about people who were facing death. Hundreds of terminally ill people were interviewed and photographed. Most of their pictures, pictures look dreary and sad. But An elderly man's picture almost jumped off the page. His face was full of life and vitality. In his interview, he said he couldn't wait to see Jesus. He was joyful in the face of death because he was looking forward to seeing his Savior. Paulinson continues, You cannot face death with true, honest courage unless you are looking forward to meeting Jesus. The one who faced death for you and who is now alive and with you. Are you looking forward to meeting the Lamb of God? This is the one who took away your sins. Do you long to hear your good shepherd call you by name? Are you looking forward to going to your heavenly Father's home? It's a home of glory filled with the radiance of the Holy Spirit. In God's home, all wrongs are made right, all darkness becomes bright, all losses are restored, and all tears are wiped away. When you pass through death, you are passing through to the moment when faith becomes sight, when you will actually see the one whom you love sight unseen. To die in the hope that God is with you is to pass through the loss of all things into the gain of all things, into the gain of Christ. So what does Psalm 13 then teach us to believe? Suffering does come to God's people. It teaches you to expect and prepare for this suffering, but it also teaches you that you are not alone. It teaches you how you can have that victory, how you follow in the way of Jesus who has gone for, uh, before you. In the midst of trials, Or in the coming trials, the call to you this morning is then to look to this Jesus, the one who is your only hope, and to rejoice in his salvation. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are able to read these things, hear these things, even now pray these things, Father, we thank you that we are called to believe these things. You promise these things. And we pray, Lord, that as your spirit does work uh, with us, as even as we read from Ephesians 1, that you have enlightened our eyes. We pray, Lord, that even in our doubt, Father, you call us to believe. You call us away from ourselves. You call us to look to our Lord and Savior. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us in whatever situation in which we have been in, perhaps bitterness and things that have, have continued in our lives because of situations of the past, situations that we are in today or will be in. We pray, Lord, for your help. And we thank you, Lord, that you do give that through Jesus. And in name we pray. Amen.